0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. I'm joined by a special guest. His name is Ken Marshall. He's from RevenueZen.com. They help with social selling, SEO, and content based solutions. I'm really excited to geek out with you, Ken, about marketing and specifically one of the biggest challenges that the expert industry has, which is actually generating leads and getting traffic and that kind of thing. But first, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks a lot, man. Uh, It's really good to be here and yeah, get a little nerdy. So,
0: (laughs) all right, well, let's nerd out. What is demand generation as opposed to just, I need better marketing for my website? Like what is demand gen? Yeah. So, I mean,
1: I think marketers use a lot of jargon anyway, so I'll try to be really concise and simple, but I think about it as um, whether you're a a blog or a business or the U S government, there is a group of humans, um, that need whatever you offer or at least the type of thing that you offer. And their eyeballs, their attention can only go in so many places. Demand generation, as I define it, is for those target you know, customers, audience, however you define them, um, how can you capture their attention and funnel it to a place where you want them to be, where they're sort of in your ecosystem, either doing business with you or just being a part of whatever it is you want them to connect with. So,
0: yeah. That's awesome. Tell us about Revenue Zen, the company. Why did you start it? What does it do?
1: So, uh, funny enough, um, Revenue Zen is the company that my company got acquired by uh, in February of last year. Right. I actually started uh, Doorbell Digital Marketing, which was an SEO, like only B2B SEO firm. And it's because I loved inbound methodology, uh, I think it's amazing. And it's really fun. And so um, they were focused on like lead generation, you know, uh, LinkedIn social selling. And as time went on, he started, you know, the founder, Alex, shout out to Alex, started seeing that organic, especially in B2B was becoming more and more of the buyer's journey. Like we're talking 18 touches, but instead of being on the phone with a sales rep, 15 of those were them checking out your, you know, Twitter and LinkedIn and, you know, your about page on your website. So they started down the content path, but um, we realized that we could do a lot more uh, damage together and help people a lot more. So, yeah, it's been fun. And basically what we do now is we help really growth oriented. I mean, some people are, you know, they want to do branding they want a small lifestyle business. But companies that really want to, you know, get some jet fuel going, um, we help them increase the quantity and quality of their pipeline using SEO. Like you said, social selling um, and content strategy. So that's what we're doing these days.
0: What's social selling? Like, how's that different from just in general, social media marketing? <laughs> He's taking a sip. He's no, it's a good to go to
1: town. It's a good, no, yeah. it's a good question. And um, we've put out a lot of material on this. I won't go into like the weeds. It's on our site for free. You can go read about it. But the difference in social selling and, you know, perhaps being even an influencer or just twiddling your thumbs on social media, I'll put it in those three buckets. Both are fine. We're an agency. We exist to help people grow and make money. So if you want to be an influencer, that's awesome. Go get a brand sponsorship. You should say things that are, you know, capture people's attention uh, and, you know, draw those eyeballs for that reason to go, you know, pitch to the highest bidder. People that are twiddling their thumbs, posting about their cat. That's wonderful. People are going to like that. They're going to smile. You're going to get lots of likes and shares and comments. It's not going to make you a dime. Um, In fact, we post like a couple times a week. The point is not to go viral. It's for our ideal client to see a post and be like, man, you got any more of that? <laughs> and reach out to you. And then, you know, so that's the difference. Social selling, it's its a vehicle using different platforms. It's not, we're platform agnostic. We use LinkedIn, but we think anything can work. You can use Quora to social sell. Um, but engaging a community her interest filled with people that might be interested in doing business with you down the line once you build trust, so.
0: How much of social selling is like content and public comments versus like private messaging. Like what are you seeing kind of working these days or if somebody's going to approach it, how should they do it?
1: I think there's people out there that would say that it's 80-20 in favor of, you know, spammy at scale cold outreach and LinkedIn in mail. Yeah. Um, good luck to you all. Uh, you know, God, <laughs> God bless you. But uh, <laughs> I would flip that on its head and say that if you're like us and you believe in inbound growing, but also being a better return on investment over time, which, you know, go talk to Gartner about that um, or HubSpot, uh, then you would say it's mostly about the connections that you make, um, the comments that you make, the content that you make on your personal profile. And then when people give you sort of, you know, permission-based marketing, shout out to Seth Godin, um, that's when you reach out or respond to their comments because they're reaching out to you to ask for your services. So you've already gotten permission. And I would say, occasionally would be the best way to put it. We will just go forward and say, this person's been commenting a lot or kind of, you know, creeping around on a lot of the posts, but they haven't made a move. Let's just say what's up um, and start to get a conversation going. So I would put it at, you know, 80, 20, like everything else probably is the curve, but
0: yeah. You mentioned Quora, which is, uh, I've used that over the years because it's like people have questions and I have like an alert. I'm like, all right, cool. Here I go. I'm going to just take 30 seconds or a minute and answer this. And it's just a long game thing, but for people that don't know what Quora is, it's not as popular as like the regular social medias, I guess. But what? How does someone use that effectively? And what is it first?
1: Yeah, who are they? who are these people, Chris? I wonder. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. They're living under many many rocks and uh, boulders. But no, uh, Quora is just an answer engine. I mean they they exist to like for people to ask questions and sometimes aggregate the same kind of question so people don't have to ask it over and over again, um, and then give answers. And so some of them are useful, some aren't. And it's flooded. Uh, It's not part of our social selling strategy. I actually just like it personally, Um, but I know that it can be. um, And even for ads because they're cheap. Um, But essentially, like you said, you can leverage it by becoming an expert. And if you're not an expert, then start out by answering smaller questions that you can and build on the bigger ones over time. Uh, Is B2B SEO effective? It's a little bit of a harder question than how do you put, you know, uh, a title tag on a page, right? But somebody needs to know that at every stage, whether it's the SVP of marketing down to the guy who just got hired as an intern, and you know the marketing manager is yelling at them to go do this uh, tech thing. So yeah, just being helpful—that's the name of the game.
0: Let's talk about SEO. One of the challenges for Education entrepreneurs, as I call them, is that a lot of their content is hidden behind a login, like the actual course content and stuff. It's not necessarily helping them from an SEO perspective, I, I believe. What kind of landing pages or content, or just in general content strategy for a really busy, you know, education entrepreneur? What where's the the low hanging fruit or the really important areas to focus on over the long term for SEO yeah, benefit?
1: Yeah, I. For sure. Um, there's there's like a content strategy. I know we got an hour, so I'll, I'll go with this one answer first. But there's like yeah. a content strategy in a box, sort yeah. of like canned response in my head before this question. Because I'm like, what's valuable to somebody who hasn't started down this path? They may not have access to tools or money, so I'll try that. But um, there's a person that you should have in your mind. Some people call this an avatar, a customer, um, ICP. It doesn't matter. There's just a human who you want to buy from you. Um, think about this. What are five to 10 problems they have most in their day-to-day? And this is for the people listening, write this down. This isn't um, a thought experiment. This is a chart that you should build or or Google sheets. Um, Those five to 10 problems that they have day-to-day. What is something unique about your platform, your course creators? Maybe you have tools, maybe it's a part of your course. Um, What part of that does it map to? So it should be one line, pain, part of your course. Um, and then in the third box, it should be, how does that you know, thing that you offer solve that pain? So there should be three boxes. Um, these solutions over here in the third box, that's what we want to focus on as the first sort of pillars of our content strategy. And here's how you implement it. Um, step one is getting, like you said, a landing page for each of those solutions. So for us, a solution might be a technical SEO audit or content writing. That's a solution. Um and just build a page for all of those. Doesn't have to be good. Doesn't have to be researched. Um, if you if you offer a course that helps real estate agents and students uh, and marketers, and it's the same product, make a different landing page for each of their needs. Right. Um, the third step is they need something to chew on to trust you. So customer stories, case studies, testimonials. Put them up. I don't even care if it's in plain text, one pager put it up. Um, the second part of that is an asset. So maybe it's an email course that's a mini version of what you offer to get them hooked. Maybe it's a, uh, a downloadable, um, you know, actionable checklist that helps them specifically, right? A real estate agent to uh, get their LMS up in, you know, get it up and ready in 10 days. I don't know. I don't know what they sell, but that's the point. Something to build trust. We call that the middle of the funnel. And at the top of the funnel, take those five to 10 things and just write something that solves a problem immediately. So for instance, real estate agents, how do you create a Google My Business listing? Has nothing to do with your course perhaps, but it's an easy low hanging fruit that adds value. You solve that pain point. So what I'm doing is essentially saying, you know, the inbound methodology is you attract somebody at the top, they get interested, they like you, then they need to trust you in the middle, then they need to learn about your solution and then they can um, convert. So it's more sophisticated than that, but um that's a content strategy in a box. And click publish quickly. Don't um don't go through the whole imposter syndrome. I'm not gonna post. Uh just publish it and you'll thank me later. So
0: a couple so just quick, that. that's really good, man. And I would encourage you that's listening or watching to re-listen to that because that was a lot of great stuff condensed and explained simply quickly. Um a couple of quick just kind of add-ons around that, uh, rapid fire questions. Is there an ideal content length? I know it depends, but is there like a, if you're not going to, is there like a minimum you definitely need to get over in terms of word count?
1: No, not anymore. Uh, There used to be, there used to be like, I'll say two things. There used to be, um, you know, there was a limit of, you know, the more content, the better because Google's algorithms and other search engines didn't understand that the quality doesn't have to equal length. Um, and so that used to be this big thing is like, yeah, at least 5,000 words, but it's like, if somebody asks how many calories in Mio, they don't want to read an article and then get to 18 (laughs) scrolls later to read 350. Right. So nowadays they're higher, um, you know, word count content assets do get linked to more, but it's a correlation. It's not, a, it's not causational. It's just um, those tend to be more thoughtful uh, and better put together. So that's why they get linked, but it has nothing. It's not directly causational. So I always tell people, do a quick search. You don't need tools to do this. If you're curious of like my landing page or my, you know, this guide that I'm writing, how long does it need to be? Just do a search for whatever you're going to title it look through the first two pages, put them in a sheet. I like sheets. If you couldn't tell, see the average word counts and then estimate like, Hey, Google wants to satisfy the reader's needs. So does this human. That's why they're on page one, hopefully, or page two, maybe I should do something around there because that matches the searchers needs. So that's a quick and dirty competitor gap analysis to answer that question. So
0: can you explain like intent, like that whole concept of like intent, because I think that was a big unlock for me a while ago when I that finally clicked for me.
1: yeah, yeah, it's, intent to me is everything. Nothing exists without intent. yeah, and I'm not being like sensational. I would I don't publish anything without first assigning it intent. and i'll I'll say two things. search intent and then the buyer's journey. they should you know they should be linked to one another. They are not the same thing, but search intent is basically what is this person expecting? to get as a result of typing in this query, this search on Google. And so we often get folks that are like, I want to rank for (laughs) like, uh, you know, uh, marketing software. And it's like, oh, you want to go up against G2 and Capterra, (laughs) these aggregates of software, because that's what people want. They want to compare a solution. They're never going to click on your startup's landing page, right? That's not their intention is they're not their credit cards are now. They want to learn. They want to go to their boss, their CMO, and say, "Hey, I found these ten vendors. Here's the things I like." And so you have to match that. So the only way you would perform well is to make your own comparative list. Or if somebody types in "what is marketing attribution," right? If we were us, that's a that's an intern. That, that's a you know that's an analyst who just got hired in their first job. And so intent um, is categorized in a few different ways. There's somebody looking to learn something. There's somebody looking to go somewhere. So Facebook login, um, how do I build my own bike for my kid? And then something like, you know, B2B SaaS SEO agency, right? Which is somebody looking for a vendor, hope either to buy or they're close to getting ready to buy. And so without understanding that you're going to make content that doesn't perform well, and you might as well light your money on fire. And so real quick, the connection between buyer's journey is you have to understand for all those intentions um, how does that map to where they are in their purchase decision making? So I've got it mapped in my head, but a really good resource to read is um, HubSpot. Just type in buyers journey, um, search intent. They do a really good job. Um, same with AHREFs, search intent. Really good stuff.
0: So that's awesome. And you kind of already touched on it, but I'll just ask it specifically. One of one of the things that really made me aware of this is you know, for us, like, I'd love to rank for the word best WordPress LMS software, but the stuff that ranks first is actually bloggers and affiliate marketers that are writing compare posts of like, you know, 10, 10 options or something like that. So would your advice be to, to not be so stingy and like actually create content around your competitors and the compare, like what, that's what the intent really wants. Right. Cause that's, that's why the compare posts rank higher. Right.
1: It's exactly right. And I mean, I, I I would be willing to bet all of the money in my wife and I's savings that if you typed in best WordPress LMSs, that WP beginner would be on the first page. WP beginner, <laughs> that man is a yeah. genius. I've never seen this. I've never done this. I just know because of how they structure their strategy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a given that they're going to perform well. And so what you would want to do in that case is we always say the right to own. And I mean, we're building some really cool internal tools that like, you know, can algorithmically determine this, but we teach our strategists how to make sure that the business, the website, the content is ready to rank for whatever target query we have. And it needs to give like an objective score. You can do this without scoring it, like, but you need to be smart. So for instance... If you're going up, WP beginner, (laughs) who has just tens of thousands of juicy backlinks from everybody you could ever want, and you're starting out, it's a waste of your time. So you might say, even without tools, what's just comb through their site? Maybe you typed in a keyword that was only mentioned once on a post that is completely different of a different topic that's something you can start to then begin to focus. And if you can replicate that of the other top 10 results and you see, hey, they're only mentioning this briefly, instead of this big overarching topic, I'm gonna niche down to this specific topic they only mentioned in one section. I'm gonna flesh that out for my users. And if that goes crazy, now you can start leveraging your authority over time to get for the bigger things. But um, yeah, you really gotta understand like, do I have the right to own this? And that's how big is your domain? How long has your business been around? How comprehensive is that piece of content? Again, I'm trying to do this without any tools. There's way better ways to do this with data, yeah. but um, yeah, that's how you can start out to make those decisions. Of, and the longer you know, the longer the query, the better for you. Now, anything past five words is probably a little ridiculous and too like you're getting into it doesn't have any volume territory. Um, although for B2B, we say go for it if the intent matches. The data is not going to be there in the tools, so just go for it. But for you B2C folks out there, um, yeah, just think about it as three, four, five, um, as far as long tail. So.
0: What about, what advice do you have best practices around images? Let's say we're creating some landing pages or blog content, like, you know, what, how many, what other, how do they, how does SEO impacted by images?
1: Yeah, I would say, I mean, I'm not a, um, you know, I'm not a designer by trade. I, in fact, I'm very left brain quote unquote. Um, yeah. so I would say, Imagery and design works in so much as it helps um, engage your user. So user engagement metrics are a ranking factor. How long somebody spends on the page, how quickly they bounce after going into your site and going back out to the results. So what you want to do is not think about it as like, oh, I got to make sure my, my alt text is right. That's very like 2002 SEO more so. We explain really complex things in, um, you know, in infographics within the post, or we'll do a video that's like an overview or a quick, simple, like two minute explanation. You want to track like bounce rates, time of engagement, time on page, page load performance, that stuff to make the user's experience really dope. Um, That's what you want to focus on less than, uh, you know, I spent an hour hunting down the best free image on Unsplash. Not worth your time. I mean, maybe, but the things, again, I'm always focused towards like drawing in users and sales. Um, you want to focus on those experience elements, I would say. So.
0: so is that pretty much the same advice for video? Like if you're going to put a video in the content, like does a person stop scrolling? Do they stay there for a while? That's what really matters, Right.
1: I would say so. And I I think actually, the more video you can create is usually a good thing for most people. I know that it converts way higher than text or image on average, if there's a page that contains that. And I do know that, um, I guess, just anecdotally, I enjoy like you know, say I'm on a page of uh, I, I I purchased a person's services a while back. There was like a, a coach and a program or whatever the heck, um, and it was his face like right at the top of the landing page. First thing I clicked on, I was like, I like this face. I'm a human. Humans look at faces. You can check heat map data all day long. We like it, uh, especially if you're good looking. <laughs> but but it made me sort of even though he's a stranger and I'm not gonna buy it because of him. But it's like, of the two I was comparing, I got to hear this guy talk for a little bit, and you know, I vibed a little bit. So. Um, I don't only think it's good from like, you know, from a data perspective, it converts better. I think humans more so these days want to connect with that kind of thing. And it's an easy way to connect with folks. Or, you know, if you've got an entertaining video for some reason, and it's uh, even if it's not doesn't contain a face, I think it can be easier to digest um, passively than reading text, which, you know, intention spans aren't getting any longer, Chris. So
0: yeah, (laughs) let me ask you for some link advice. I'll, I'll share where I ended up like, I kind of just I just try to be generous with links. Like even if it's linking to competitors or whatever, I just assume that if I'm mentioning it and it's useful and I'm creating like a a web of links, which is kind of what Google wants. I see some people get really stingy, like, Oh no, there's no way I'm linking outside of my site, but that's a bad idea. Right. I mean, I think that's just bad life advice. I mean,
1: (laughs) you know, go, you know, and for anybody out there that hasn't um, read about, you know, read growth mindset versus fixed, like, you know, not to get too woo woo, but that, that almost never seems to pay off. Like as a human being, I I've never felt that's a good strategy. That's why we, again, we believe in inbound. We believe in giving things away for free (laughs) all day long and not attributing it to anything sometimes just hoping it'll do. And it does, by the way, but you know, it's a long game. And so I would say if you, for some reason are running a spammy, like Black Hat, PBN Network, then sure, you have to sculpt your you know, page rank accordingly. But for the rest of us who are building legitimate businesses and brands, um, yeah, be useful. Link out as much as you want. I, I link out to competitors even um, sometimes because they have better content. Like I just said HubSpot and Ahrefs, we have those assets, but they're the OG. So yeah, please, Tim, link out to us. You know what I mean? So I think that's an old outdated concept or just somebody who doesn't, they aren't secure in who they are. I will say though, that in terms of going to get, um, you know, the kinds of backlinks, you do need to be more um, wise and, you know, deliberate about what you go out to generate. But as far as out, you know, outbound linking, I say, as long as it's useful and helpful and appropriate for the content, just do it. So
0: Uh, you mentioned getting backlinks. Um, You know, I, I personally get, a lot of like spammy backlink request emails every day. What's the, what's the proper way to, or what's a better way instead of just some mass outbound campaign where you're begging for links, what's the best way to kind of go beyond organic and try to influence and get a little more backlinks with intention?
1: call it the grandma test I mean I'm not uh, even kidding this is the yeah. response we only build links in three ways and there it's no backlinking is completely above board it's literally in Google's guidelines that you shouldn't do that however they do say things like um, you know contributing to somebody else's content on their site and getting a link from that is okay so it's this really weird thing of like they don't want you to build links but they like you to build relationships and write for other people and get links from them so anyway that's what we do which I'll get into but as far as like the litmus test, excuse me for um, what kind of links you should build is, you know, would your grandma be proud of this? If your grandma's a proud person, you know, if the CEO of a fortune 100 company, would he get geeked about, or she get geeked about this? And so we always say, you know, um, first and foremost, there's directories, where your business would live. That would be like the white paper or the yellow pages of old. Is your business a legitimate business? One of the easiest ways is you should be in the marketplace. I should be able to, for us, you should be able to find us on Clutch, you know, and Google My Business where we have a real location (laughs) and headquarters. If you don't, why? That's weird. That's super weird that I can't find you as a business. So that's thing number one, it's just business listings. It's simple, low-hanging fruit, but those are links. Those are really quality links actually in Google's eyes because it means you're legitimate. Um, the second thing is just partnerships. Some people call it guest posting. Some people call it infographic tactic, whatever. The point is, um, Chris, you you know you want to educate about um, LMS and solopreneurs and entrepreneurs that are focused on um, education and courses. And so I would just go find people that write about courses that are other course providers that build an LMS themselves and say, hey, I noticed that you don't have X on your site. Or is there anything your editorial manager really wants to focus on? And we, we do this and they'll say, yeah, this month is X, Y, and Z, but we have, we have nothing I'm like I can give that to you for free. Uh, do you have any criteria for us? And they're like, yeah, this is what we like for the high quality posts. And you go study their best performing post, and you give them something that's better than that, or an infographic that they don't have, or a video that you made for them. And they say, this is the, you saved my career. Mr. Person, the editor of this thing, right? They're happy to get it. So that's the second thing. is just giving somebody something useful for them. And in return, they're like, of course, we'll link out to you. This, you helped us. Um, and the third thing is just, um, I call them like resources and opportunities. So a lot of our clients are SaaS. But even if you're, like you mentioned, those roundups for LMSs, I'll, I'll do a real example for you. Um, I would reach out to WP beginner type sites. And I would say, hey, do you want 15? instead of 10, because their writer might've gotten tired at 10. Maybe the, the competitors are doing 20 and 30 these days and they haven't updated it in two years. I'd be like, I wrote five new ones for you and mine's included, but it's really dope and here's why. And you give them that extra content and you say, now you're gonna be able to compete with your competitors. I don't know, six times out of 10. They'll enjoy that if you have a good product and you're a good person. So um, that's the other one as far as taking advantage of existing resources and like, like piggybacking off of them. So all of those sound above board because they are, and they help your brand and business and SEO at the same time. So,
0: Wow, that's, that's awesome. Thanks for that advice. What about um, like, what's the main things we need to get right? Whether we're using like a Yoast SEO plugin or Rank Math or something else from an on-site technical SEO perspective, like what do we definitely need to make sure we do that's a little more yes. technical?
1: So um, A, you need to go read uh, Brian Dean's on-page SEO checklist right now. Again, <laughs> revenue's in, we've got our own, but I know who the OGs are and uh, I'd love to work with you even though SEMrush acquired you, Brian Dean. But um, <laughs> anyway, start there for the basics. Yeah. You, you can't do anything well with a tool if you don't know why you're using the tool. The I just want to say I up. think
0: a lot of people install like an SEO plugin thing and they're doing SEO, but you gotta slow down, right? Yeah.
1: Exactly. So the SEO plugin is the the tactic, the vehicle, but it's only it, you can only use it in so much as you have a good strategy. So what I would say is go start off reading that. Once you read that, understand that as much as you get to that coveted green light, um, what's gonna matter is why you even built that target term. Like one person, I forget who I was talk, consulting with a long time ago, they kept tweaking the keyword to get the green light, but I'm like, that's not a keyword. There's no search volume for that. <laughs> so you're like, you know what I mean? You're wasting your time. So what I would say is identify why you even targeted that term that you're plugging in in the first place, go learn about the on-page SEO basics. And then if you're a beginner, yeah, that's an X, ex- it's probably the best tool in the business as far as what I've used for uh, plugins to get to a place where you're probably a four out of 10 in terms of on page SEO, the, the upper echelon of things, you're not going to get there from Yoast's plugin, but if you're a beginner, it'll take you the quickest to like, yeah, zero to four, zero to five. So.
0: Tell us about keyword research. I mean, I think a lot of people just assume like, okay, I probably need to rank for these five phrases. What's the best way to do keyword research and how do we, how many like words or phrases should we, should we really be kind of trying to focus on?
1: Yeah. So for everyone that, you know, because before you have tools, there's a way to do it. And then after you have data, there's a way to do it. So um, make sure everybody listening, you have um, Google Analytics installed, Google Search Console, they're both free. Um, It gives you insight into which keywords are coming to what pages from Google. And then obviously traffic data. Um, and then keywordtool.io at Google's free keyword planner. Because um, again, you can't make good decisions after a certain point without data, but you can in the beginning, just based on intuition and time and spending, to, uh, spending a little bit of effort. So in the beginning, I would tell people that ICP that you made and those pains and how your solutions uh, map to the different features. Um, that's the basis of what I call your seed keyword list, a pool of terms that just from us, it comes from data sources, but it can come from your brain then what I would do is I would do, you know, searches for the different topics and just see like, what kind of, is it other people like me, other businesses, or was I completely wrong about the intent? And it's all these searches that have nothing to do with my business. Get rid of all the ones that don't match the intent of your business. Uh, The next thing that I would do is sort of take those. And I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even put them into any tools. I would just maybe highlight or circle. Does this seem like something that would lead to me getting more business? Because often I think people can get so in the weeds with like, oh, am I getting clicks and impressions and rankings for keywords? And they forget that at the end of the day, they're trying to generate revenue and profit, not impressions. Uh, And so... We always give things a business priority score from the business owners. And and it it can be a 10 out of 10 from an SEO strategy. If the business owner gives it a one or a two, it immediately goes off the list. Like it's the quickest thing in the world because that's at the end of the day what we're trying to do. So I would give it that business priority and then they can begin to say, okay, now I can plug those final lists into these tools and start to say, okay, well, The difficulty score here is a 90 and I'm a brand new site. So no way, or uh, it's got 20,000 searches per month. That may be a bit too big for my britches or that's perfect for our strategy because we want to grow really quickly and we have a ton of money to deploy. So um, that's sort of steps. And then at the end, it's like you said, go into Yoast, read Brian Dean's guide, put it into practice on the page. So one page, one topic one keyword. Um, And then don't worry about micro, you know, (laughs) semantic related keywords. Um, Google's algorithms, the PhD in mathematicians, they know more than you. Um, (laughs) Their semantic reasoning engine is better than your little keyword stuffing. So don't do it. Just focus (laughs) on good content.
0: Love that. Um, How much does social media influence our SEO? Like if, you know, we're using Facebook groups or Twitter and uh, LinkedIn and we're, Maybe we're doing it. Maybe just the the broader community is linking to our stuff. How how much does social media influence SEO?
1: Yeah, hotly debated topic. Um, I am slightly a conspiracy theorist with when it comes to Google because they often announce things and then not announce things. But the data like kind of doesn't lie, and so um, I would say formally, uh, their documentation says that it is not a ranking factor. However. It's a ranking signal, and that's for sure uh, It be, because of the legitimacy factor. I mean, not only are you getting links from like these social links from your profiles on like a Pinterest, but, you know, if you're getting 20,000 users from Pinterest a day and they're coming to your site, using your site, improving your engagement, improving your click-through rates from the SERPs, search engine results pages... How is that not in alignment with what they've said is a ranking factor for engagement and the ubiquity of your brand? So I'm going to go ahead and say, build those profiles, pick one or two to really dive into. Um, And I have no doubt that it can impact search, but more importantly, it impacts uh, brand and demand gen. So.
0: Any words of wisdom around YouTube specifically? A lot of course creators are pretty uh, capable at making videos. They're not scared of the camera and whatnot, and they're just comfortable. Like YouTube kind of has its own SEO game, but then also getting yeah, traffic to I your can. site. Any tips? Yeah, I mean,
1: for us, like we have videos, uh, and I'm, by the way, I'm not a YouTube SEO expert. Expert, I don't claim to be, but we do have videos um, that we, we host on YouTube. Just like you said, it's a huge search engine. Um, And so what I would say is some people like to host on other platforms. I think that's fine, but why not take advantage of your users already who are in Google's ecosystem, Google owns YouTube, um, and just see what that does and host host your videos on YouTube. And so what I would say is same with thing with on-page SEO. There's like basic things that I think people just don't want to do because they require effort. Just fill out everything. So step number one. Fill out everything, like make an actual description, put hyperlinks to different chapters. There's a great chapter feature on YouTube. It sucks and it's annoying. Hire a VA for, you know, $10 an hour. I don't know. Um, The second thing is like if if you, you know, sort of master that, I think those like taking a thumbnail and having a human's face with something interesting and a really compelling image. Um, I know from <clears throat> from data and us just optimizing our images uh, performs better. So that takes a little bit more time and effort and even money. But I think it's a, a huge value add for you know somebody clicking on your result. And then I would also say the next step of that is like anything else. Then you can go through and do proper keyword research or compare competitor videos. But I think people want to jump to optimization when they don't have their fundamental strategy in place. And the best place to start is to publish it, fill out everything correctly, make it sound good, build good copy, talk to the person you're trying to get to watch it. Um, And then you can start to mess with the creative and, you know, the strategy around keyword and competitor targeting, but don't break the order is what I would say to people who are just starting. (laughs) Cause that's the most daunting part is like zero to one and people always want to go zero to 10. So
0: that's awesome. Well, Ken, you made it to the free consulting part of the show. And uh, and all this will be valuable to anybody listening as well. But just some of my SEO challenges, particularly. One question I have is, I think I made a mistake a, a while ago at the beginning of when we kind of set up our websites, but I'd be curious to get your take. And that is, sure. we have a blog, we have a podcast. This is around episode 400. So we've been doing this for a long time. But um, I put the blog and the podcast on subdomains was that a mistake from an SEO perspective or does it really not matter? I know this is debated. So what's your take? Yeah.
1: I'll say this. So whether it's a mistake or not, I have a few questions, but um, at face value, it, it isn't inherently a mistake. So Google just looks at subdomains as two separate websites. Yeah. Some people don't know this. They're connected, but they are separate websites with separate domain ratings, separate authority. They're connected because they're joined together, literally in the URL path. But they're not the same thing and so i always ask folks like who have separate sites or subdomains why did this need to be a separate entity is it dramatically different that your same users wouldn't wouldn't feel comfortable in both spaces sometimes that's a technology thing for companies like software companies they have an app the app is very different from the marketing site, so it literally needs to be a different site or a subdomain usually um but what folks i don't think know you can do is install a different experience like for a podcast on a subdirectory, which connects to your main domain. And so it gets all of that wonderful authority. And if you transcribe your podcast or you do show notes, that's just more content, more fodder to feed the Google machine. And so I would say, um, first question What was the decision to do that? Was it literally just to install the technology on the subdomain for the podcast?
0: It was uh, initially our thinking was just I, we do everything with WordPress, we sell our software with WordPress, podcasts, blogging, everything, but we wanted to just not bog down our main e-commerce sales site. It's not a traditional app in the sense you're talking about. It's a it's still yeah. WordPress site, but uh, we just didn't want to overwhelm our e-commerce site with too much stuff going on.
1: Yeah. So if it's a performance related issue, then I would say, I would consider, um, you know, if we were to go back and know what we know now that the sub, the subfolder, folder, the subdirectory, um, I think all those performance issues I think can be mitigated. Right. So, Good hosting, good podcast hosting platform, and just embedding that. I mean yeah. that those things are nuts Light. these days. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's technology that can you know you can enqueue your scripts differently so they're not bogging down the user experience. If that's the primary concern, I would say that I would have given you the advice to do the subdirectory because you know basically blog posts now if you format them correctly, if you have show notes and outbound links and you know uh, biggest takeaways. Those are miniature blog posts, and if you strategize for them correctly, um, it's just passing all that equity and authority onto your primary domain. Uh, and so, and you can even optimize it. If somebody's looking for uh, a marketing podcast or a, um, a real estate podcast, that in and of itself could drive traffic, like literally to your main podcast landing page. Um, so that's the advice I would have given you if it's only performance related. Um, I think we can. We think we can get around that these days. So yeah.
0: That's cool. Um, Another big challenge I have is really a challenge of WordPress itself, which is because it's so flexible and there's this whole ecosystem of um, plugins and themes and people build custom solutions. As much as we try to focus on like a customer avatar, avatar, ideal customer profile, people build like interesting things. They're outside of like our, ideal customer profile so a couple of examples of that would be um i've seen people build like virtual conferences on top of our with our lms which is a little different from the um the traditional self-study online course type membership site or people will build um uh, like a udemy clone so more of like a course marketplace it's like a niche use case and and our our vi- as that one is an example like our video on youtube for that just took off because people want to build wow. udemy with wordpress for like way less than udemy paid yeah. <laughs> so uh totally but but so like some of our best content is just it's it it some of our best performing content is like these edge cases or use cases that just come from the creativity of WordPress and the people that are making their own solutions. How do we think about that in our SEO mix? And, um, it almost feels like there's infinite content we could create, but how do we, what's, what would be your advice in this situation?
1: Yeah. So not infinite, but definitely near infinite and use cases are, top five most important considerations i didn't use that language but that's what i meant by like the solution like the use solution case solution yeah. product you'll go on our site you'll see that i have services built out of all the specific you know seo services from a high level like content but then sub services like a white paper or seo but then technical you know content audit um, competitor gap analysis but you'll also notice like there's an industries. And it's all the industry verticals that we serve, like B2B SaaS and solar and renewable energy. Do we have a different service for each of those people? No. Our methodology and our, our products are the same. Um, you know, Our strategies are different, but the fundamental system isn't different. Why did I do that? It's because after researching it, I knew that um, people don't search by role. We have the same target audience as far as who that human is in an organization, the VP of marketing or director of marketing, but it's not anybody different. So I knew that. And so it wouldn't make any sense for us to do like by role or by human type or by, you know, X, Y, and Z. Some people just randomly do that through research and customer interviews and just thinking through who's a customer. I was like, OK, these we should do this by industry vertical. Who are they? What type of company are they? But for you, literally, I would go after. I would do this afterwards um, because you have the resources. I would, I would stretch yourself to write down 25 use cases. So you said conference, um, I I don't even know what they might be because it's not my wheelhouse, I'm not in there. But you should stretch yourself like as far as you can to write down as many as you can. And very broadly, one by one, put those into search, grab the top ranking result, put that into a keyword tool and do that for all 25. And then just look at the data. Just spend some time saying, oh, wow, I didn't know that people, you know, who are farmers are using this to aggregate their conferences for their average but and if only 50 farmers do it and you're the only person speaking to farmers you got 10 new customers man like what would that be worth so anyway not infinite but that's the game as far as like use cases and solutions and the reason why they're powerful is because those humans are looking for somebody to speak to them even if it's fundamentally the same product they're going to land there knowing you're speaking to them and that's their gateway uh to conversion so
0: i love that and that really ties in with our our concept of intent like it works because people like, oh, this is for me. They identify with it, they stay on the page longer, that sends a signal to Google. They actually click the button more, they don't abandon the site more, what they convert better. Um, yeah, I love that idea. Yeah, what? Um, the,
1: I mean, that's the game, <laughs> it's truly like, yeah. Uh,
0: what What do we call, um, I guess it is use case. Well, Well, let me back up and say, like in software, I've studied a lot of software sites like you and there's often a, um, like, uh, there's like two vectors. There's like the, we work, this is for like, like I'll, I'll say like we're for experts, businesses, and schools. And then within those, there's like lots of sub use cases. Um, but what, what, you mentioned use cases, you use the word industries. Um, what other kind of vectors can people or words could people use to kind of start fleshing out these landing pages? Super
1: good. And yeah, I'll go between um, service businesses, you know, and, and like software companies and everything in between. So the types of things that you want to think about are um, what type of humans. So that might be role in an organization. Um, yeah. what What's the business model? So for it could, and that could be size of the organization. That could be, right. We've all heard enterprise small business, mid-market, so it could be that size of the organization. It can be um, the specific industry they serve, like what we do. You can do solutions, services, if it's a product, features of your product, um, uh, the product itself, which are different than the features and are different than the solutions. A product might be, uh, you know, um, Super Scrub, might be the example of somebody's product name you want to speak to what Super Scrub does different than its competitors. Um, The features of that, each individual feature and should be fleshed out, particularly like for folks like me who want to know not just like that you offer analytics. What is the analytics or what's the, you know, what does Super Scrub do that's so different within that feature? And so building an individual feature page, um, the role of the person. Um, If you're speaking to uh, founders, like small business founders, um, what's the founder need to hear? Like, what are what are they suffering from that you solve? Again, it doesn't, it's not a different product or service or, or part of your course. Um, it's just that thing that they need to hear. And you need to figure that out. You need to be earn, uh, earnest about it. Um, and so what am I missing? Those are the main ones. Um, oh, by... Some people do by problem, and these are usually sales-led organizations or revenue like <laughs> operations people, but it's really smart. It's not just like that middle column that I said, the problem that they're experiencing to your solution, most times the um, uh, the feature in the solution are good enough, but some people are like,, um, uh, I don't know, uh, missing sales quota like pain. And I've seen that work a few times, not a lot done well, because usually there's no justification for it. They're just making it up in their heads. But I think if you can really hammer on that and people are searching for it, um, it's a really good entry to your product or service. So
0: I like that. I mean, for us, it's the, it's kind of like the whole impact income and freedom thing. So which which problem are you, is your primary, are you trying to make money? Or are you trying to change the world? Or are you trying to make it, um, uh, develop personal freedom in your life? Like it's, those are, (laughs) that's, that's neat to focus on problem. Uh,
1: I would real quick, I would actually say that has nothing to do with SEO, but everything to do with uh, conversion rate optimization and user experience. I would want to read that. I mean, if you go to our site, you'll notice there's like a working with revenues end tab and then our marketing thesis. There's no, there's no search volume for having a marketing thesis. It's just me and Alex would sit on the rooftop and, talk about what we believe. And we, we, we live this stuff in our own lives, right? Like SEO, LinkedIn referrals. Yeah, We don't run paid ads. We don't have a sales team, you know, hunting people down. So we're like, this is what marketing should be. And we just wrote it and people read it. People like it. And so for you, like hearing those three things, that's, what's dope about Chris and his business to me. I mean, I could read all day, like blogs and solutions that'll help me convert, but that's like the, you know, that's the cherry on top to me. Like if I, if it's between you and another person and I read that um, I want all those things for me and my wife and my puppy. So <laughs> you know, sign me up, man. I'll at least get yeah. to know you. So I would say still put those, even if they don't align to some strategic channel, again, people are buying from you at the end of the day and they want to hear that stuff. So.
0: I think that's uh that's something I've learned too. It's like, it's a little bit art. It's a little bit of science. Like don't forget about the art, like that kind of human touch, putting the video on there. Like one of the, places i noticed that and maybe you have some tips too is i got the advice to like really bulk out our about page with a bunch of like yes. personal content like timeline <laughs> like yeah. it's sharing like stories about like oh this is when this person lost their job all this like human story stuff and I, I see it in the data like people spend a lot of time on that page or they reference things on that page during sales calls and things like that uh so any other tips Nailed for it. an about page
1: I mean, have one, folks, like a lot of (laughs) folks don't even have one and they think that it's like, and this is different from company, like the general boilerplate, here are 10 values that we founded this, which I guess if you're a mission driven org, but like some of us aren't, we're just companies trying to do like good things and help people and have a good product. And so having an about page, make it personal, um, write something interesting about yourself or the company and what you believe. Very simple. Put pictures of humans. If you have a team, put them on there. Let them say something fun and quirky about themselves. Uh, Top five in, um, you know, if you look at the data and analytics, you see it all the time. I forget what number it is for us, but top five about page views. um, People like to view that. Um, They just do. They want to know. They want to. You need to be personalized right. These days, even companies need to have a face and that's what brands try to do nowadays with influencers. They're trying to personalize their brand experience to individuals, um, in different ways. And so, yeah, just get one up. Don't, don't be weird about it.
0: Awesome. I love that. (laughs) Uh, one more tactical question with you, for you, I see fear in the market around, like people are super worried about duplicate content. So just to give a specific example, If we're, I see one of the things that holds people back from making landing pages for different market segments or use cases or problems or whatever is, well, what if I'm, what if I'm literally just putting the same content? Like, oh, and then the benefit of like industry leading support. And there's like this kind of boilerplate thing that I, when, if I ever mention our support or our money back guarantee, it's always the same. Like, how should we be worried about duplicate content or is that kind of an older, um, fear from like an older yesteryear in, in, uh, SEO and being uh, Google slapped or whatever. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> So it definitely is like sort of a legacy, not even a, a fear of something that would happen. It was sort of a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, so Google did this a while back. Their search results don't want to show too many of the same site in the search results. So there were these companies who would own results one, two, three. you know, four. And they're like, that isn't fair. That's not, that's a horrible user experience. Google said, yeah. So the, the bad part about duplicate content is two things. One, if you're creating a ton of really spammy pages, the penalty comes from you sucking. (laughs) You have a low quality, you're a low quality human, you have a low (laughs) quality site and a low quality business. It's not because you wrote two similar pages. Then from like an indexation standpoint, if you have two pages that seem the same to Google, they're going to say, yeah, these are the same thing." So what's that's why go read about canonicalization and canonical tags. I won't get into it. It's a little technical, but essentially you have two pages that are the same. They will eliminate one. And if, so if you wanted that second page to rank for something different, but it's too similar in terms of content, only one's going to rank and then you lose out on that other targeting. So what I would say to those people is, you really need to have a good, like, if you had to look me in the eye, me Ken, and say, here's why I made those two pages, what would I say back to you? Knowing what you've heard over this font, that's how I would think about it. Do you have an actual good strategy for why that page needs to exist and good justification? If so, write to your heart's content. Um, don't just copy and paste boilerplate because that isn't a good reason. Um, it's a terrible reason. That's just you being lazy. So, But you can repeat elements, obviously. That's not bad if your software, you need to mention the features that are going to match to this user's needs. Maybe there's only four features here and the same four referenced on this other page for this different person, but they've got, you know, three others that they need specifically. You don't you don't need to change the language of those features. But if your intro, you know, paragraph and uh, the solutions are the exact same word for word, you're lying to yourself because why would they be different use cases if they need the same solution, right? So it's just how you think about
0: that stuff. So that's Ken Marshall. He's from revenuezen.com. Thank you for just laying out so many, so many, uh, uh, generous SEO tips and advice and, uh, social, social marketing as well. Um, what, where else can people connect with you and any final words for the people?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, I would say, Three things. Um, one, if you're interested in social selling, um, we just made a really cool new course ourselves. So shout out to courses. Um, it's for people who are just getting started and <laughs> for individuals who have to meet sales quotas <laughs> need to do this social selling thing. Two, we have more re- free resources than you can ever, ever know. So just go on the blog and look at our categories, uh, read to your heart's content. And then third, either on LinkedIn or the website, um, I do these free consultations still uh, as an owner and it's I don't have anything to sell. I just like helping people and some of them want to stick around and give us money. So click the button on our site. It says consultation. It's not a sales tactic. You talk to me um, or Alex or Steven, depending on the need that you have. Um, And we have a good time. And if it makes sense, then we pitch you something. And if not, you get a free document to go implement stuff on your site. So it's a win-win.
0: Awesome. So go check out revenuezen.com. Ken, thanks so much. We really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, man. Cheers
0: and that's a wrap for this episode of lms cast did you enjoy that episode tell your friends and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode and i've got a gift for you over at lifterlms.com forward slash gift go to lifterlms.com forward slash gift keep learning keep taking action and i'll see you in the next episode